uh, dismiss children for Children's Church. And they will be going to uh, Children's Church, which is a service geared more towards their age specifically. My name is Joseph Bianco. I'm the assistant pastor with City Reformed. I am glad that you're with us. If you're new here, welcome. Welcome in the name of Christ. I'd like to invite you to stay after the service uh, to get to know us, to spend some time with us in that fellowship, in that community that was mentioned in um, the testimony time. And also that we have a welcome table in the lobby and that we have uh, someone who will be standing there at that welcome table to greet you and to welcome you into the church. So again, I'm glad that you're with us. We are a church that was planted years ago for the purpose of university ministry. So uh, we are committed to university ministry here, and I am a product of that. I'm a product of RUF years ago. So again, welcome. Let me turn our attention to the reading of God's word, and after the reading, our response will be thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 1 and John chapter 21. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means father, sorry, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak, and followed Jesus. who followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and Nathanael said to him, and Philip said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. After this, Jesus revealed himself again. This is chapter 21 now at the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And then verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. So with the fish, 
This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So when I was really little, I enjoyed uh, building things out of Legos. And I didn't have sets, but I would make things up. Like I would build spaceships or fortresses or, um, or anything that resembled things that children would build. And my son, who's one and a half years old, just got into Legos, big building blocks. And he's just figured out how to put them together. All he can really do right now is put them together and pull them apart. And it's harder than you think for children to build with Legos because, um, like my son, their coordination just isn't that good as our coordination. And um, we have this picture of me and my family of this spaceship that I made out of Legos when I was about four. And I was so proud of my spaceship. And I remember it took me hours to build this spaceship. And I, I knew exactly what I built. And I imagined all these things on the spaceship, and I knew what everything was on my spaceship. And I was so excited, and the first thing I did when I finished building my spaceship is that I ran to my parents, and I said, come and see, come and see what I made. And I remember I pulled their arms up the stairs as I was running, and they were walking, and I showed them, and I remember my, my dad saying to me, or maybe it was my dad or my mom saying to me, great. What is it? And I was crushed. It was a spaceship, clearly. In our text today, we see those words, the same words, come and see. Come and see, repeated twice, because the nature of coming to know Jesus means that the natural response is to run to our neighbor and say, come and see. Come and see the one I love. Come and see the one who gave his life for me. But just like my parents did not understand uh, what I made, we can be afraid that people will not understand the one whom we say to them, come and see. We can be afraid that they will reject him and we can let fear keep us from bringing our neighbor to Jesus. Have you ever experienced that? Being afraid of what people would think if you invited them to church or to a church event? I have. I want to encourage us today that we too with the apostles need to be invitational. Our response along with them should be come and see the Savior. So I want to look at three things. I want to look at the power of invitation, the nature of a skeptic, and then lastly the process of becoming a Christian. So the power of invitation, the nature of a skeptic, and the process of becoming a Christian. So first, the power of invitation. So in our first main point here, we're going to look at the first five main characters that we see uh, presented here in this section of Scripture. We have John the Baptist, Andrew and Peter, who are brothers, Philip, who may or may not be related to Nathaniel, and we have Nathaniel. And I want to look at the way that each of these men are invited to come and see Jesus. So first, in verse 35, we have John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist's whole ministry was preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. And he has two disciples with him. One is not listed, uh, his identity is not listed in the text, and the other was Andrew. And our first scene is a bit of a non sequitur. It's a non sequitur because John's preparing the, his followers for the, the Messiah to come. The Messiah of the Jews, the Savior, the Anointed One. 
the one who fulfills the role of prophet, priest, and king. He's preparing the way for the coming of the great Savior. And there is a regular Joe walking by Jesus. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And John's disciples follow Jesus, just like that. Can you imagine this scene in your mind? A regular man walks by. Behold, the Lamb of God. So remember, this is not what an ancient Israelite was expecting. He was expecting power and might and a display of strength, but he got the Lamb of God. Do you hear the title? Lamb of God. Early in verse 29, not in our text, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the invitation for John's disciples. John is saying, let me invite you to see not a display of power, but of meekness, a lamb who will bear your sins and my sins and all those who place their faith in him. A lamb is who I want you to follow. And they do. In verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And as they followed him, Jesus asks this pointed question. He says, what are you seeking? Verse 38. And they want to continue to follow him to learn more, so they ask him, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and you will see. Now, look, the wording is the same in verse 46. You see that? Between Philip and Nathaniel. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip answers, come and see. So Jesus is not just asking, what are you seeking? What do you want? He's saying, what do you want? What are you seeking in life? And for all of us who are invited to come and see Jesus, it is asked of you, what are you seeking? Why have you come with interest to follow Jesus? The power of inviting people to Jesus always meets them with this confrontation. What do you seek? Are you here to learn and follow the Lamb of God? Or are you here for another reason? And it can feel scary to bring people into that kind of confrontation. But here's some help. Our job is to say with Philip, come and see. But can we let Jesus do the work of confronting the hearts of the people we bring to him? So let me repeat that. Our job is to bring people to the Savior. It is never to be the Savior. And this is what Andrew does. He brings his brother Simon, to Jesus, and he says, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus renames Simon Cephas, which means Peter, the rock. And then Philip follows. And Philip immediately goes and he finds Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is our first skeptic. And I'll get to him skepticism in just a minute, but do you see how much finding and bringing there is in our text? So once you learn about Jesus, the next movement is to bring others to him. Come and see. So I think I mentioned this a week ago, but I am standing here today because someone invited me to VBS, Vacation Bible School in fourth grade, my best friend. And um, I had to do some following before I believed. He and others had to keep inviting me. They invited me into his home and into their family. They invited me later after VBS. We just had VBS uh, in this church this last week. 
But they invited me into their youth group, and it is there that I finally understood that question. Jesus asks, what are you seeking? One day through hearing God's word preached, the spirit worked in my heart, and I believed and I realized that I was seeking him. I was seeking Christ. That I was seeking a savior. I was seeking a father who loves me, who would not leave me or abandon me or fail me. That I was seeking truth. That I wanted to stay with him a while and sit at his feet and learn more. And though I believed, I, be, I thought I became a Christian then, and I, most likely I did, people still kept inviting me. Inviting me to Bible studies and dinners and church events. And then I began inviting. I invited others into my life, or what a little sphere that I had. And then a tragedy happened in the church that I was at the time, back in Mount Lebanon. And I almost lost my faith, and I went into college without with a very, very, very minimal or next to no faith. Uh, but a woman that I met there in college invited me back to the church, and I went. And here's a great story. I was headed, heading to church, but then our elder, one of our elders, James Miller, and it was in my German class. Uh, in freshman year, he invited me to InterVarsity, which was a, a Christian campus organization. And then when InterVarsity faded away because of different issues they had, uh, I wandered around for a year, and again, he invited me to RUF at the time, and I rejected him. Uh, I don't know why I did. I did it for whatever reason. The RUF had just begun, and Derek would, will tell you that we were, we were weird back then. But James Miller kept inviting me, and a year passed, and my junior year of college began, and I finally accepted, and I began attending RUF. And I became part of a, a group of Reformed Christians who were seeking to follow Jesus together. And they continued to invite me. And they invited me here, to this very church. And then I left for seminary after college, a couple years after college. I had no intention of being invited back, but then the Lord called me back here to be a pastor. And here I am, standing before you. So I bet you a nickel that you are here, I might owe people a lot of nickels, because I bet, I bet you you're here because someone invited you. Maybe not to this church, but to something in the past. Maybe it was a family member who invited you, like uh, Andrew and Peter. Maybe God himself called you through just the reading of his word or some act in your life that pushed you to come here today. Or a friend invited you, like Philip invited Nathaniel. But do not discount the power of invitation. Like Peter told Andrew, told Philip, told Nathaniel, your joy for Christ can be infectious. And here is where I'm going to both release pressure from you and encourage you. You are not responsible to change the hearts of the people that you invite but you are responsible to invite them. Are you afraid to invite them to community group or a church event? Would you let Christ worry about that? Or to a church service because you're afraid something might offend them. Would you let Jesus take care of their hearts? He can do it far better than any of us can. Do not put that pressure on yourself. When the Savior of the world arrives, the response becomes invitation. 
Whether the response of the person is skeptical or not, we bring them to Jesus. So we have so many avenues in this church to invite. Maybe personally to coffee or to your home or maybe corporately to community groups or VBS or a membership class or Sunday school or a men's event or a women's event or Bible studies or RUF or Body Christian Fellowship or so many other things in our monthly bulletin that you can look at. But would you let Jesus take care of their skepticism? And though John and Andrew and Peter and Philip were not immediately skeptical, Nathaniel was. He was skeptical. And you know what? That is okay. Because Philip still brings Nathaniel to Jesus. So I want to look at the nature of the skeptic. So here is Nathaniel brought by Philip. Now as an aside, it's interesting to note that when Philip is mentioned in the Gospels with the list of the apostles, three times in the Gospels, his name is put next to Bartholomew. And it may very well be that Bartholomew that we read about, the apostle, is Nathaniel. It would make actually a lot of sense in the calling of the first disciples here in the Gospel of John. So Nathaniels are skeptic, and maybe you're here today, and maybe you are skeptical about Christianity, and I want to say good. I am glad that you are here. I am glad that you are with us. And you are welcome to bring your skepticism and your doubts into this church because like Nathaniel, our hope is that you would meet the Savior. We may not be able to answer every question that you have, but our hope is to come alongside you and to show you the one that we love, to show you Jesus. And I want you to see Nathaniel, a skeptic who is invited to see Jesus. Nathaniel looks at Philip and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, Philip told Nathaniel, Nathaniel was a Jewish man, that his long-awaited Savior had come. And he says in verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's appealing to Jewish scripture, to a Jewish man that his Savior has come, and Nathaniel reveals a prejudice. He doesn't like people from Nazareth. And again, what does Philip do? He doesn't argue the theology with him. He doesn't wrestle him into a theology wrestling match. He says, come and see. Now Jesus sees Nathaniel coming and he says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And if you're a skeptic in the room, then this verse is for you. Because I want to show you that there are two kinds of skeptics. There are good skeptics and bad skeptics. Bad skeptics, the book of Proverbs calls a scoffer. It's a similar idea. So do you remember the question that Jesus asked earlier? He says, what are you seeking? Well, he looks at Nathaniel and he recognizes that while Nathaniel may have some doubts about people that are from Nazareth, Nathaniel's open to the idea the possibility of Jesus being his savior. A good skeptic does not make decisions until he investigates, until he sees what's going on. A good skeptic leaves open the possibility that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's what Jesus means when he says an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I'll prove that to you in the end. Nathaniel is not deceived and he says to Jesus, how did you know? How do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Although Jesus was not physically there, Jesus saw him before Philip went to call him. 
And just from that one small interaction, the skepticism falls away and Nathaniel says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. You see, it did not take much for Nathaniel to believe because his heart was open to the idea of considering Jesus as a savior. He was a good skeptic. Now, there are bad skeptics. There are scoffers. And maybe that's you, and at times, hear this, it can be me. Every time I come into contact with God's word, I have to be open to the idea, the possibility of him revealing truths to me that I may not like, that may disagree with me. Truths that are difficult for me, but if I am a bad skeptic, if I reject what is true because I just don't like it, then I'm being a scoffer. I would rather know, let me put it this way, I would rather know if I'm sick and dying than to pretend I'm healthy and die. Let's be honest. No one, no one here is fully a good or a bad skeptic. We lean to one side or the other. In fact, I guarantee you that for the Christians in the room, there are parts of God's word that they wrestle with, parts that they struggle to accept, parts of God's word that are offensive to them. But I want to tell you why they choose to remain faithful to their Savior, to Christianity, despite the difficulty. And it is because when someone invited them, they met the Savior, and they fell in love with him. They came into contact with Jesus as Nathaniel did, and they recognized that this is no mere man. This is not just an idea, but this is God who has been made flesh. Come, and he is our Messiah. And it means that I have to listen to what he says, even if it's hard. And this is why, like Nathaniel, I am saying to you, if you're a skeptic here, that I am so glad that you are with us. Because the goal is not to answer every question you have. Christianity, fundamentally, is not a, a puzzle to be solved, but it is about coming into relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. We come to learn from him. We come to sit at his feet. We come to follow him. We call this discipleship. Now, Presbyterians, do not hear what I am not saying. Theology is good and right and important, and we ought to strive for excellence in having proper doctrine and being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us to answer people's questions well. So do not hear what I am not saying. But you can have all the right answers, and if you do not know Jesus relationally, then you have nothing. Learning doctrine, growing in Christ takes time. And it is actually impossible to truly know, truly understand good and proper doctrine if those Bible truths are not firmly planted in a faith in Jesus. And this actually moves me to my third point because I want to show you that Christian growth and maturity is a process. Third point. So Jesus looks at Nathaniel. And this is my favorite part of this passage. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So essentially, Jesus says, you believe, Nathaniel, and that is great, but there is so much more to come. 
And Jesus quotes a reference from Genesis 28, Jacob's Ladder, and verse 51 there. So I need you to pay attention here because this is a complicated exegetical truth, but it's important for you to understand. So do you remember the story of Jacob in the Old Testament? Who was Jacob? Jacob was the deceiver. His name meant deceiver. Isaac, his father, knew that Jacob was not innocent when he stole, when Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright. Remember that story. So in Genesis 27, Isaac looks at Esau and he says, your brother Jacob came deceitfully and he took your blessing. And then Esau replies, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. Jacob the deceiver. But in the next chapter, in Genesis 28, Jacob receives a dream from God. He rests his head on a stone. He receives this dream, and in his dreams, he sees a ladder set up on earth that reaches to heaven, and he sees angels ascending and descending from it with God at the top, connecting God to man. And it is there that God says these covenant promises to Jacob. He says this, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what is promised to you. God remains faithful to the deceiver, to Jacob, despite his deception. And then in Genesis 32, do you remember what God does to Jacob? He breaks his hip. He breaks his hip. Jacob wrestles with God, and that is where God changes Jacob's name. You see, Jacob had been wrestling. He had been moving against God in deception, but he wanted God's blessing. And so God, as he changed Peter's name, he changed Jacob's name. And he moved the name from the meaning of deceiver to Israel. And what does Israel mean? It means he strives with God. Now listen. Now hear again the words of of Jesus to Nathanael. Behold, An Israelite, one who strives with God, in whom there is no deceit. The deceiver. Do you see that? It's a play on words from the story of Jacob. Nathaniel is not a deceiver, but he is one who comes and strives with God, and maybe that is you today. Maybe you have come as a skeptic, and that is far better than coming as a scoffer. And Jesus says that like the ladder of Jacob that connects God to man on which angels ascend and descend, you, Nathaniel, will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is Jesus, even if you strive with me. With me, your heart must be open. And Nathaniel saw it. Nathaniel remained with Jesus, learning from him until the day that he saw Jesus crucified. And Nathanael was there. He went through this big, long process of discipleship. He was there the day Jesus was crucified, and he was there the day Jesus was resurrected. And Nathanael witnessed the ladder that connected God to man. And that ladder was our Savior. 
That latter was Jesus himself. And so through the gospel of John, John, Nathaniel was in a process of believing, of understanding his Savior. He followed Jesus the years before Jesus' death and after his resurrection. But even Jesus tells him in John 1.51, he says that it isn't until you understand the latter that God connects, that Jesus is the one that connects man to God, that the invitation, the invitation of the gospel will move from invitation to reception. Now, the way that Jesus becomes our connection to God is through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. So if you're a skeptic here, maybe you're struggling with your faith, or maybe you're struggling and you've been a Christian for many years, can you see with new eyes the ladder who connects you to God the Father? When you meet that man, when you meet Jesus, and if you are willing to follow him, if you are willing to be led by him, as, as he led Nathaniel and as he led the 12 apostles, you will be led to the cross. And it is there that you will see how much Jesus loves you. At the cross, you who are a skeptic will see that that man died for you. He died so that you could have a relationship with him. And at the cross, you will see your Savior bear your sins on his shoulders. And at the cross, you will see that Savior die. But if you stay with him, like Nathaniel, you'll see him resurrected, and in the place of the stain of your sin, you will be given robes. Robes that are white, robes like we sung about today. And in the place of the brokenness, you'll receive healing. In the place of your transgressions, you will receive forgiveness. If you continue to follow him, you'll see that he ascends to the Father and he gives you his very spirit that does not leave you, that remains with you. The process of becoming a Christian and growing in Christian maturity is one of following the Savior. Following him, learning from him, bringing your skepticism to him. And it takes time. And one of the biggest reasons I think this is, feels so scary for us to invite people to church is that we, be tr- we try to become the Savior rather than inviting people to the Savior. So can we trust God to allow his spirit to work through the power of his word and not our own power? We aren't called to judge the hearts of people that we bring to church. Only Jesus knows their heart. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4, 3, I do not even judge myself. It is God who works to justify us. And it is God who molds and shapes our hearts to become more like Jesus. Now, we take part in the work of molding, of discipling, of teaching, encouraging, of preaching, of inviting. But in every aspect of ministry, there's one thing that remains the same. We point those people to the Savior. So I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be afraid. Because the worst thing that happens to you is that you're rejected like I rejected James. (laughs) but would you keep inviting? God knows the hearts of the people that you love. He knows the hearts of your families and your children and your friends and your parents and your relatives. I struggle with this too, but can we be faithful in inviting and bringing them to him and not trying to be the Savior? Let me end with this. The reason I included part of John chapter 21 here is because that while in John 1, John reveals Jesus to us, in John 21, Jesus reveals himself. 
And in one small little sentence, there is Nathaniel, who has remained faithful to Jesus the whole time. We don't see him in the rest of the gospel, but he's there. And we see him there in John 21. One small little sentence, there's Nathaniel the skeptic, says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, and there's Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. And from there, Jesus performs the same miracle he performs in Luke 5, with one exception. In Luke 5, there's a miraculous um, achieving of lots of fish in a net, but then the nets break. But in John 21, the nets hold. And you see a movement from faithlessness to faithfulness. And Nathaniel and disciples have breakfast with Jesus. Nathaniel went through a process of believing in the Savior of discipleship, but he did it by following, by remaining faithful. He was there because Philip invited him. He was convinced when he met Jesus, but he remained because he saw his Savior nailed to the cross, and he saw his Savior resurrected, and he saw his Savior's love for him. Brother and sister in Christ, you are free from the pressure of people's opinions on you for the sake of your Savior. But would you with faith and joy because you have been invited turn to your neighbor and say come and see. Let's pray. Father God, um, this is a, a simple but a difficult challenge for us. Lord, we can often, even as Dave preached last week, uh, fear man more than you. So I pray, gracious Father, that your spirit would be powerfully at work at the heart in the hearts of those in this church to give them full confidence and full freedom in yourself to invite with joy in the ways that they have been invited to you. Father, I pray for the skeptics in the room, for for hearts that are, are prickly towards yourself, that you would soften them and that, Father, they would come and at least consider the possibility and at best, would they believe? Would you give them faith that you indeed are not just an idea, but our Savior, and that you reveal yourself in spirit and in truth? So Father, only you can do this work. We look to you and pray that you would hear our prayers. We know that you hear us because of the work of Christ who connects us to you. We pray it in his powerful and glorious name. Amen.